Scripture is weighty, isn't it? Um, every every uh, verse of the Bible is, is, a, is a weighty verse. I mean, it just carries with it so much, uh, uh, so much meaning, and uh, it's rich and full. And uh, uh, I don't know where's is Pastor Eric in here? There he is. Thank you for tackling that. I mean, it's a it's a huge it's a huge issue and uh, a very weighty topic, and I think one that's um, that's I think hopefully going to be beneficial to all of us as we uh, as we walk through that together. And I know probably everybody's got a lot of questions about it too. So all your questions are focused on Pastor Eric <laughs> about issues of, of forgiveness. I saw a few people come up to you and already already talking to you and asking questions. So that's uh, that's a good thing and and uh, and good questions. Well, um, just as weighty as that is, let's uh, let's wait over to First uh, Samuel chapter eighteen. 1 Samuel chapter 18. I was going to do two chapters, and um, we've already gotten a little bit of a later start, so we're just going to do this one chapter, chapter 18, plus they're really long. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Well, let me let me just kind of introduce uh, the topic. We I want I want to talk about the Lord's uh, protection and uh, particularly his protection of of, of David. He, he shows David tremendous favor, and I think there are some uh, nuances to the protection that, that God offers to David and the protection that we experience as believers today. And we'll talk about a little bit about that probably next time than than this time. But uh, we do live in a great big dangerous world, don't we? And, uh, it, and man, apart from apart from the Lord and, and His grace, we, we would be in, a, I think, a, um, a world of hurt. Particularly as we think about who who is controlling the world's system, who the God of this world is, and um, and Christ already told us we're 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 going to be hated. Um, yeah, so we're, we're, we're kind of foreigners in a strange land, aren't we? So David wrote this, he said in, in Psalm 32, and in fact I was glad you read part of Psalm 32 earlier. This is verse 7, Psalm 32, verse 7. This is, this is from David. It says, it says you, are a, you, you are a hiding place for me. Isn't that wonderful? You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And I love that, that Hebrew word, selah, meditate on it, think about it. Um, and we could do that certainly for, uh, for a season. You see, David had come to learn through his experience uh, with the Lord that the Lord was his hiding place, right? The Lord was his protector, that the Lord was the one who was preserving his life. So much so that he wrote a general principle concerning all who fear the Lord in Psalm 34, verse 7. He says, the angel of the Lord, and we could um, talk about who that might be later time, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, it really, it's really uh, kind, of a, kind of a beautiful, beautiful picture. I, lo- I love uh, Paul's uh, words in, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul talks about some of his trouble, his thorn in the flesh and some of those things, and talking about his own weakness. And he says it's in that moment that, that, um, that the presence of Christ tabernacles. I like that word, tabernacles. It's that same kind of imagery here of the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Again, I do think there is a difference in the way we can apply these verses to David and to us. But we're, again, we're going to get to that next time. But, there, but I think there's some great and precious promises for us today. Amen? Amen? I think some things that we can cling to in this dangerous world in which we live. There is a grace that sustains us in trouble. There is presence that tabernacles with us and strengthens us 
in and through trouble. We too can be confident that the Lord will protect and sustain us for as long as He has decided to do so. Amen? Chapter 18 is going to sort of uh, set us up for this theme of protection that we're going to see and further develop in chapter 19. We're going to probably see it more played out in chapter 19 than we do here. Um, But I want to look at this chapter 18 uh, today. But before we do, before we read it, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time in His Word. Father, we thank You for Your fatherly love for Your children. that you, God, are a perfect Father who knows how to give good gifts to, to us. We thank you for your good gift, the, the good gift of your Word. Thank you for your instruction here, for your reminders, your sanctifying grace in it. Help us, God, to believe it, to live your Word out day by day. Help us understand, particularly this text, and apply, uh, apply it to our lives. We ask, Lord, um, in the name of Jesus and for your praise, Amen. Back in the uh, early 1990s, I, um, I was uh, traveling with a team of, of evangelists. We called ourselves the Bone Rattlers from, uh, yeah, from Ezekiel chapter 37. One of my seminary professors uh, graciously reminded us, you know, it was God who rattled the bones in Ezekiel 37. <laughs> I said, I said, we, know, we know. We just thought it would be cool, you know. And, um, and we would do the preaching and, and music as we traveled to these different churches doing revivals and, and conferences. And, the, and the, those kinds of things. And every once in a while, we get a new guy from the seminary to come, and we never heard the guy preach before. And so we had this phrase. We had this phrase that we would we would uh, we would say, um, um, and it was something like this: A good song can fix a bad or a boring sermon. <laughs> and so we would always have us. It wasn't true, by the way. It's true. It doesn't fix a bad sermon. Uh, help a boring one. It doesn't fix a bad one. Um, I don't know what, uh, what's going on. Do I need to turn this off? It is off, isn't it? Good? All right. Anyway, um, we had that phrase, a, a good song can fix a bad or a boring sermon. Again, it wasn't true. But a song could liven up when you uh, had a, I guess we call it a real snooze fest of a sermon, right? <laughs> so uh, it could kind of liven it up and we were always prepared. You know, in our text today, in our text today um, there's a song. And it seems this song, changes everything in Israel. certainly changes for David. It certainly changes for Israel, and it certainly changes for Saul. Let's read the text here and, uh, and see what the, what the Bible says here. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now that's significant. Just make a little mental note of that. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. And so Saul set him over the men of war and this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And as they were coming home, now this is coming home from the battle with Goliath and the battle with the Philistines. Now as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistines, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands. And here's where the problem is. 
and David his ten thousands. And Saul, what, was very angry, and the saying displeased him, and he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can, can he have but the kingdom? Little does he know, right? And Saul eyed David from that day on. And the next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre and he did uh, uh, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because, of the, Lord, because the Lord was with him. Uh, But he had departed from Saul, and so Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. Listen, if I can't pin him to the wall, I'm going to have him killed in battle. That's the idea, right? And he went out and he came in before the people, and David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful all of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. And then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter Merib. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let not uh, my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. In other words, uh, save me from the messy work. We'll let let the Philistines do it. Verse 18, And David said to Saul, Who am I? Who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Maholothite, for a wife. And Saul's daughter Michael loved David, or now Saul's daughter Michael loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, You shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, Speak to David in private and say, Behold, the king has delighted in you, and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's, and Saul's servants spoke these words in the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? In other words, he didn't, he didn't have a bride price either. <laughs> Any way to, to uh, um, uh, pay the, the dowry, so to speak. Verse 24, And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. And Saul said, Thus shall, you shall, thus you shall say to David, The king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might bring the king's, uh, uh, become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michael for a wife. But when Saul saw uh, and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David and so Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commander of the Philistines came out to battle and as often as they came out, to, uh, came out David had more success than all the servants of Saul and so that his name was highly esteemed. Mm. Well, there in our text, uh, there it is. 
The Bible tells us that after the battle with the Philistines, the ladies came out of the towns to celebrate and welcome home those boys from the uh, Operation Slingshot, right? So there it is. Goliath's fall had been heard not only in Philistia, but all of Israel. People were talking about it. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was already, the news was already spreading. The ladies are singing about it. And we learn here in this text that music changes everything. <laughs> it really does. It did for Israel. It certainly did for David and definitely Saul. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands, verse 7. Now, I don't think they meant anything negative against Saul, right? It didn't seem to be any, any political motive. It doesn't seem to be any malice toward Saul, right? I mean, they, 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 didn't, they didn't mean anything ugly toward him. In fact, the text says they, they, they came out to sing to Saul, for, for Saul. As Saul was coming back from the battle, they began to sing. But you know what? Saul didn't care. He didn't care. He wasn't interested in the melody. He wasn't interested in the harmonies. He wasn't interested in the fact that God Himself had given them great deliverance from the hand of the Philistines through David. He didn't care. He wasn't listening to that. He was analyzing the lyrics, wasn't he? He was analyzing the lyrics. And he probably thought that a better use of these ladies' talents would be for a lament in Bethlehem. Right? He, he wanted to see David dead. That was the idea. Verses 8 and 9. Uh, once again, let me just read that really quickly here. Uh, verse 8 and 9. And Saul was very angry, and, uh, and this saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousand, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can, uh, can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. How did, what, what, what does that mean, he eyed David? He was, he was watching him, looking for an opportunity to kill him. That's what it means. That's what it means. I want to just highlight two, two things in, in chapter 18. It's a long chapter, but I want to kind of set up our discussion in chapter 19 about the Lord's protection. And so, so uh, t- today, in the little time that we have, let, let me talk about a, a divine division a divine division. It's really found in verses 1 through 9. I won't read it again, but we'll look at certain, um, certain uh, uh, verses as we, as we go. You know, sometimes even being associated with the Lord brings division among God's people, or among people in general. I, I've noticed in my own life, speaking of my own experience, that, that, that my deepest and richest friendships have been among like-minded believers. I mean, really, I mean, lifelong friends that I've made among like-minded believers. But I've also noticed that, that among the church, and I use that word loosely, there have been some people that, that have hated me with a death, death hatred. And I know that because they've threatened my life. They've threatened, literally threatened my life or lawsuits. And Not here, by the way. That's way far away from here. Other places. That's other places. Um, I mean, just as soon slap you as look at you kind of, kind of folks. Probably un- unbelieving church folks, but church folks nonetheless. David, I think, has a similar experience here. It seems everyone has heard of David now, right? Uh, Goliath's death uh, ha- has made him the talk of Israel. I mean, you'd think everyone would be happy about it, but that's not the case. There's a dual reaction to David, one that we'll see all through David's life, by the way. Excuse me. We have Jonathan's love, but we have Saul's hatred. We have Jonathan's esteem, but we have Saul's envy. Jonathan loved him, the Bible says, like, like his very self or his very soul. And he made a covenant with David. 
They entered into, if you will, a binding relationship. Jonathan gave to David his robe and his armor and his sword and his bow and his belt. And by doing so, listen to this, by doing so, he, he symbolically renounced his position as the crown prince of Israel. He, he was in essence saying, you now have the right to succession of the throne. Now I want to say this, I'm not sure that Jonathan knew anything about Samuel's actions. Remember Samuel had already uh, anointed David as king. Jonathan probably knew nothing about this. He had just heard about David. He had heard David speak. He had seen David's faith. And now he's, if you will, uh, entered into this binding relationship as a like-minded believer in the Lord. Remember, remember Jonathan's faith, right? He's, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> he's one of, those, one of those men in that time where Israel is faithless, but Jonathan is full of faith. He's a man of faith like David. And so naturally they're drawn to one another. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, excuse me. <clears throat> now I want to say this to you too. No, nobody in this time and place would have ever done such a thing. Jonathan was giving up his... And, and, and symbolically giving up his inheritance, his, his future as the, the king of Israel. He's, he's basically saying, you know, yes, I'm, I'm the son king, in terms of a rightful heir, I'm that person, but you know what, I'm going to give it to David. I see something in him that is deserving, It is, if you will, an act of humility, it's an act of submission, it's an act of faith, he is believing in what David will become, if you will. Now, I want to stop here for just a second and pause and just say something, because... I don't know if you guys have, maybe, maybe this is a non, I certainly know it's a non-issue here in our church, but, but uh, it's not in our world. Because our world will read a passage like this and, and, and see this special, unique relationship between Jonathan and David and try to pervert it somehow. You guys have heard that. I see you shaking your heads. Um, I, and it's weird, isn't it? Only in our modern, perverted world would we, would we ever try to make more out of this relationship um, with Jonathan than, than what's there. I, I, just, just by way of clarification, there is nothing sexual here in this text. There's nothing inappropriate here in this text. And, and, and we know that from later texts, Jonathan has a wife and children. You guys remember Mephibosheth. Yeah, and we also know what David is a flaming heterosexual. We know that clear, clear teaching of Scripture as well. No, listen, this is a special and a God-given relationship. It is a deep, rich, lifelong friendship that few of us ever get to enjoy, but David did. David did. But Saul's going to have none of it, not after he hears the ladies' choir, right? David is the, the servant of Jehovah, and Saul has been rejected by the Lord. I mean, we already sort of expected that this was going to happen, did we not? When David was anointed as king and Saul had been rejected. We certainly knew that Saul would eventually hate David and try to kill him. And, I, and by way of application, I, I think all God's servants will experience on some level this kind of division. You hear me? I know it's not pleasant to think about, but, it, but, it's, but it's true. If you are living for Christ... And this is what Christ said, If the world hates you, know that it hated me first. Simply by your association with Jesus, you will be hated by some. Yeah. Now, I don't mean, I, I don't mean that you're going to be hated because you've been hateful. Yeah. That's on you. <laughs> yeah. 
or, or because you've been sinfully stupid. Right? That's, that's a different, different thing altogether. I mean, genuine living for Christ and being hated for it. it, it it's, it's inevitably going to happen because we live in this fallen world controlled by Satan and his bunch. Jonathan understood, I think, Christ's words even before he spoke. I have come to set a son against his father. Right? And I think probably most of us will experience that on some level in our lifetime. If you are living for Christ... You will be the aroma of life to some and the aroma of death to others. The Apostle Paul spoke of that. Jesus called us the salt of the earth. We are, if you will, sort of a preserving presence in the world. Jesus called us light of the world. That is, we reflect the true light. That is, Jesus Christ. Now, some folks love salt and love light, right? I like salt. My wife, my wife says I use it way too much. I love, I love salt. But spiritually speaking, we're talking about those who are preserving agents or preserving presence in the world. Some folks love salt and love light. But there are some folks who don't like salt. They prefer the rottenness of their own sin. And some people don't like light. Why? Because their deeds are evil, the Scripture tells us. They're much more comfortable in darkness and much more prefer bland rather than salt. And it's true, isn't it, of our Lord Himself. It's true of David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, how polarizing was Jesus? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. The Bible says He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But here's the good news, but as many as received Him, what? As many as received Him, He gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believed on His name. Listen, like David, like Jesus, you too will be hated by some, and, praise God, loved by others. (laughs) Praise God for our family of faith. Amen? There's a second thing I want to kind of highlight as we get into this protection. And that is the Lord's divine favor. Not only divine division, but divine favor. And it's really really verses 10 all the way to the end of the chapter, uh, uh, verse, uh, verse 30, you see that. I mean, reading these verses, you can't help but see the Lord's uh, divine favor toward David. I mean, it's repeated over and over again. David's success, look at verse 5. Uh, verse 5. Uh, it says, And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. Verse uh, 14. Verse 14 says, And David had success in all of his undertakings. For There's the reason why. For the Lord was with him. Uh, Verse 15 says the same thing. Verse 30 says the same thing. Uh, It it also tells us not only about David's success, but uh, God's presence with David. We just read in verse, in verse uh, uh, 14. It's stated again in verse 12 and in verse 28. The Lord's presence was with David. The verb to love with David as the object is used some six times in the text. Verse 1, speaking of, uh, of Jonathan. Verse 3, again, verse 16, verse 20, verse 22, and verse 28. Jonathan loves David. Michael loves David. All Israel and Judah loves David. But Saul, the Bible says here, fears and stands in awe of David. That's in verse 12, verse 15, and verse 29. The chapter seems clear that almost everyone loves David, and David is successful because the Lord is with him and has shown him favor. Now, I want to make note of this, too, because I think it's a quiet favor. It's not um, um, openly miraculous. It's quiet. It's providential. It is, it is mysterious to us. In fact, 
fact, we, we could say because we know some things that the people that it's happening to at the time don't even know. We, don't, we, we, know, we know Saul's heart. We know Saul's intention because we're the reader of the text. But even then, even David's unaware of Saul's murderous intent. There's this quiet favor from the Lord. I, I don't know that David saw it at the time. We get to. David is the object of the Lord's goodness and, and Saul's envy. We see God's favor in spite of Saul's envy and fear and hatred of David. Saul's hatred is a secret to everyone except us, the reader. It doesn't come out until the beginning of chapter 19. David seems totally unaware of the fact that Saul wants to kill him. Now you may be asking the question, how could he not know Saul wants to kill him? He tried to pin him to the wall twice with a spear. Well, let's just kind of back up and think about that. How, how could David, with his famous spin move, right, to avoid Saul's spear, not know that Saul wants to kill him specifically. Now, remember David placed Saul... Why did, why did David play the liar for Saul? Because he was... Because of the, 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 the spirit, the, the harmful spirit from the Lord. And he would have these spells or these fits of insanity or, or, or whatever, whatever it is. And, and so... Maybe Saul's servants would, would give David a heads up on, on a particular day and say, you know what, David, he's, he's really bad today. <laughs> you, might, you might want to play a little, a little uh, uh, more uh, loudly or, or more intently or something today. And maybe David thinks it's just madness. right? Maybe he thinks this is the way Saul treats everybody. It, it's not personal. It's just, it, it's, it's, you know, there, there's no malice, just madness. Maybe that's what he's thinking. Maybe he treats everyone this way, he's thinking. He's just having a bad day. Either way, David would have no reason at this point to think that Saul's murderous actions are personal. Uh, Dangerous, but maybe not malicious, right? Besides, Saul has offered his daughters a bride. This is what what, uh, um, uh, we we see there in the text. Who's the bride? Merib. Remember? This is a promise that he made to whoever uh, kills Goliath, and so he's following through on on the promise. He's offered his daughter as a bride. How could he think that he's trying to kill him? We know Saul's intent to kill David, but it was a secret to everyone else at the time. Saul was sending David off to battle not to defeat the Philistines, but what? But to experience the Philistines' death. The law of averages says if, if, De- if David <coughs> excuse me, does enough tours of duty, surely uh, uh, one of their arrows or one of their swords or one of their spears will catch up to him. But David doesn't realize that. He's just simply going to battle. Saul would have saved himself all that messy business of killing him himself. And for whatever reason, Saul reneged on Merib, his daughter, but was delighted to find out that Michael, his youngest, loved David. Michael could be useful. (laughs) And if David couldn't come up with a bride price, no worries. Just bring Saul 100 Philistine foreskins and they'd call it even. Yeah? I mean, that's, that's kind of weird, isn't it? <laughs> kind of weird, weird for us today. Of course, a bride price is kind of weird for us, but, uh, but uh, nonetheless, this is bizarre. But, but, but Saul still had in his mind that David would fail somehow, and the Philistines would eventually deal David a death blow. But if 100 foreskins was required, 200 would surely be more impressive. And so David brings 200 foreskins of the Philistines and walks off with Michael as the prize. Now, ladies, don't that just make you feel special? (laughs) 
as, uh, as, as Andy Taylor would say, don't that just clutch you? <laughs> I mean, if you're a 204 skin lady, I mean, that's, that's special right there. Anyway, listen, in those days, I guess that was pretty special, but uh, anyway, in our day, it seems a little bizarre. She's worth 204 skins. Now, I am most certain that this drove Saul even more insanely angry, yeah. right? He goes off. I'm expecting, okay, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pit him against a hundred Philistines. Surely one of these guys are going to connect with one of the arrows or the spears or the swords with David. And he goes off. And don't, he doesn't bring a hundred foreskins. He brings two hundred back. And you imagine this infuriated, infuriated Saul. Hmm. But at every step, the Bible tells us, David succeeded. God delivered him over and over and over again. David was unaware of the danger from Saul, and yet God protected and showed David tremendous favor. Now we've got to finish. But let me ask you this question. Can we, can we make application? At some part, right? Some, some points. I believe we can. And I'll talk more about it, I think, when we get to chapter 19. Could it be that the quiet favor of God is the heritage of all of God's servants? Think about it. I mean, the very fact that we're here and not in the grave is a testimony to God's quiet providence working in our favor. I mean, who knows how many times the Lord has protected us or given us success or shown us favor We were completely unaware of it. I mean, maybe even on the drive here this morning, right? That God protected us in some way. Who knows that maybe even some of our present trials are working to protect us from some greater disaster of some kind. Who knows? Mm. We do know that all things are working together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Who knows that the present trials are not working for us some far greater weight of glory, some greater protection, some greater preventing grace of some kind. In our lifetime, listen, we're going to face a lot of adversity. Some of you are already facing it. We as God's dear children can face it, I think all of it, with with confidence that our lives are in the good hands of God. Amen? But we can also, I think, worship the fact or worship God because of the fact that He's working behind the scenes. Sometimes our eyes completely blind to it that God is working to provide, to preserve, and to protect His people. Let me ask you a question. Are you sitting down? Because this is is life-changing. Are you sitting down? Do you know this? That nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Think about it. Ponder on, on, on it a minute. Uh, like Mary, ponder all these things in your heart. I I think it's worth a moment to think about and then I think to worship because of the mysterious ways in which God has shown us His favor. Amen? Hopefully, Lord willing, we'll pick up on that next time. Let's pray. Father, thank You for um, this lesson, this this teaching, this instruction. We we know, God, uh, because we don't belong here, because we're citizens of another Kingdom, um, that our presence here is, is going to be a dividing presence. That we are, Lord, because of You, Lord Jesus, we are going to be the aroma of life to some and the aroma of death to others. We are going to be a dividing presence. But we thank You, Father, that um, 
you have provided us a family of faith, a, a place where love really exists, where we get to talk about issues like grace and forgiveness and unity. And Lord, our hearts get to be knit together with these these incredible people that help us to be more Christ-like and challenge us and um, help us along the way. Lord, thank you that you hadn't left us by ourselves. And God, we can't thank you enough for your presence with us, your abiding presence, your, your tabernacling presence, Lord, over our lives, and particularly in trouble and particularly in difficult times. And Lord, we, we confess that we, we, don't, we don't see all that you see. Um, maybe if we did, we couldn't handle it all. We couldn't, we couldn't deal with all the potential disasters and dangers that we face each day. But Lord, we thank you for your invisible hand, your invisible providence that is leading us along and protecting and providing and, and preventing greater disaster. Lord, we thank you that, um, Lord, you're, you're, you're not simply doing all this for our own sakes, but for your own glory and for your own purposes that are invisible to us, just like you did with David in preserving him for the kingship. Well, Lord God, you have preserved us for this task of work wide evangelism and discipleship and church planting. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we might be a grateful people, that we might ponder these things in our heart. And you, Lord, would cause us more and more to worship you because of your mysterious ways in showing your people tremendous, life-changing favor. It's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen. God bless.